Last week we looked at um, the part of our quiet time that that has to do with prayer, and we said that um, a quiet time is the part of the day that you specifically set aside to worship God for the reading of His Word and of fellowship with God so that we can know Him more, that we can know ourselves more, see ourselves in light of God, and then know the world in a proper perspective. And we said that prayer is a spirit-given, word-saturated response to cultivating a relationship with God. So this morning, we do want to talk about dangers and pitfalls of, of meeting with God and cultivating a relationship, some of the, 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 um, the sins, I guess you could say, that, that we commit in, in trying to pursue this relationship. But before we do that, I want to continue with our thoughts on prayer. There's some more that I wanted to, to add to what we had last week, and, and so that's what the first part of this class will be about, and then we'll get into the dangers and pitfalls. So let me begin by asking God for help. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, we do plead for grace as we have just sung. We are ashamed of our sin, and, and we come before you uh, knowing that you are the God who delivers the God who rescues, you are the God who forgives. And so we can count on you and we can trust you to be faithful to your promises and that you will wash us and, and make us whiter than snow. We're thankful that we do not need a complete washing, but we simply need to be restored. And so, Lord, shape us this morning through your word, cause us to yield to it, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we just sung, we we are sinful and we we stand before God condemned, but God in His great mercy has sent Christ to live a perfect life and to die on the cross and to bear our sins. And so now, instead of receiving what we deserve, we receive what Christ deserves, which is um, which is um, power and glory, and we will enjoy those things um, in eternity. Um, <coughs> Let me uh, begin this week by looking at some purposes for prayer. Some purposes for prayer, and uh, th- that's really how we want to, to look at it today. So turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. The first purpose is to glorify God. You could really just say, what is the purpose of, and then fill in the blank. And ultimately, the answer should be, in everything, it is to glorify God. Whatever you do, whatever whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So we shouldn't be surprised when, when the purpose of our prayer is to do that very thing. And here in John 14, Jesus helps the disciples. I think we might have looked at this last week, but would someone read verses 13 and 14? Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified all right so first he tells us to ask in his name see at the beginning of the verse whatever you ask in my name he assumes that when we pray we're going to pray in his name and we said um, to pray in his name means to pray according to what he desires to pray according to his reputation what would be consistent with his will so we don't just add a magic tagline on the end of our verse and then second we see that notice at the end of verse 14 he will do it, that Christ will answer our prayers, that, that God will answer our prayers through Christ. And so we can have confidence that, that when we go to God in the name of Jesus Christ, that our prayers will be answered. And then third, we pray uh, 
in His name and our, and our prayers are answered so that the Father will be glorified. Do you see that at the end of verse 13? That the Father will be glorified through the Son. So as we pray to God and as God responds with answered prayer, as we pray in the name of Jesus, then God is glorified through the answering of those prayers. I think in a way that, that He's not glorified when we don't pray, when we don't see our prayers answered. So we pray we pray to glorify God. And then in John 15, you can skip over there, John 15, verse 7, it says, If you abide in me, Jesus says, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, so that you prove to be my disciples. So Jesus says, pray, yes, pray. Expect to get what you pray for. But, but keep in mind that, that it is conditional, isn't it? We, we like to think, well, pray and ask for whatever you wish. We like to hold on to that part of the promise. But notice he says in verse um, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. That's where the praying in Jesus' name comes. As we come to know the Scriptures and we come to embrace the Scriptures in our lives, then whatever we pray, God responds with answered prayer. And, and so this is conditional, but it is a, a clear promise for believers that as we abide in Christ's words, in Christ's word, then, then God's will will be done through us as we, we pray to Him. What does it mean to, to, to glorify God? Because sometimes um, we use that phrase, you know, I want to glorify God in all that I do, but we don't really think about what we mean by that. Well, Glory is is brightness or brilliance. It's it's showing the worth of something. And in fact, when in Revelation 21, the whole earth is going to be filled with His glory. There's not going to be a need for the sun or the moon, any of the the stars in heaven, because God's glory will shine. It's this visible manifestation of God's presence that when people come into the presence of God, their face glows, right, like Moses and and Jesus. And so another way to say it is that the glorification of God is the holiness of God going public. It's displaying who God is. And so that's what it means to, when we go to pray, pray, it's not about us primarily, but it is about God and displaying His worth in how He responds to us in our prayers. So the first purpose of praying is to glorify God. Any questions on that? All right, second is to make God known in the world by bearing the fruit of the gospel. And, and um, we saw this in chapter 14, that, that my Father is glorified this, by this, but that you bear much fruit. Oh, I'm sorry, that's actually chapter 15, verse 8. Okay, we saw that in chapter 15, verse 8. He's glorified this by, by this, that you bear much fruit. But notice verse, um, verse 5. Someone read verse, verses 5 and 16. Fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give you. 
All right, so notice the, the two words there towards the bottom of verse 16, so that. When you think about this verse this week, meditate on those two words, so that. What does it mean? I choose to bear fruit so that you will give answers to, to prayer. I, I am going to work to, to help cultivate this fruit that God actually is the one who produces so that God can answer our prayers. And, and, and the, the idea here is that prayer is an instrument for the purpose of fruit bearing. It actually helps us to do what God is trying to do in us or is working to do in us. He says in verse 16, And you appoint, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. So that's His purpose in us, so that we would bear fruit so that the Father can give us whatever we ask of Him. And so part of the reason that God responds to us in prayer is because He is working to bear fruit in us. That He is working to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Love, joy, peace. He, he wants to, to respond to us in ways that will impact us, that will change us, that will grow us in, in our relationship with God and, and with others. And that requires that, verse 5, that we abide in Christ. Right? That the Christ will abide in us, and we will abide in Christ. Yes. Well, let's think about it in terms of the uh, the illustration that's used here in verse four, and maybe that'll help answer the question. Verse four: Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. So picture what happens with the fruit, let's say a grape. You know, a grape can't, can't grow, it can't have life on its own unless it abides in the vine. So in the same way, we can't have any life unless we abide in the vine, the vine abides in us, you know, unless we're attached to the vine. That's the point. So we need to be attached to the vine. And, and I think the point is, is that that we're not going to bear any fruit as Christians unless we rely on Christ, right? If we have a, a close relationship with Christ, if we have a relationship with Christ, that, that we are abiding in Him. And that's the idea that he, we have this relationship where we are, we are one. You know, we, we are working together, not apart from each other. Um, we can a person can abide apart from the vine, but they can't abide in, abide in Christ, and they will not bear fruit. And um, so the point is, we need to be connected to Christ. We need to be joined to Him in His thoughts and in His desires and in His actions. And the way that that happens is as we have the Word abide in us. You know, the the way that we know Christ is we know His Word. That's what the Word reveals to us. It, it reveals who Christ is. So. Does that answer your question? I would say all the above, yes. Yeah. So I would uh, just recommend that you just read through verses 1 through 11 this week of chapter 15 and, and just meditate on those on that imagery of, of the vine and the branches. And, and see how you relate to that imagery and what what Christ is trying to say there. But that's yeah, it's a good good thing for us all to think about. Now is that uh, oh, I just was 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how can a young man keep his way pure, Psalm 119 says, unless he lives according to his word, to God's word. So, um, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So, as we start to know the word more, know God for who he is, and see ourselves in light of that, we we start to be serious, be as serious about our sin as God is about our sin, and we want to put it away. We despise it. We we hate it and we want to, to put it away. So we then come to know the Scriptures more and figure out how we can guard ourselves against uh, that sin that is betraying us and betraying our Savior and the, the sin that's destroying us, really. So, yeah. Um, so that's uh, that's kind of the really the, the under underlying theme of this whole these whole six classes is, you know, we, we need to be having this close fellowship with God, not just come to church on Sunday, you know, get my my data dump into my head so I know what I need for the week. I mean, that's critical, but, but we also need to be having a relationship with God where we're talking to Him and listening to Him. And uh, that happens as we communicate with Him in the Word and prayer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, um, even the most mature of Christians is not completely free from sin, right? Paul said at the end of his life that I'm the worst of all sinners. You know, in First Timothy one. So he's he's saying as he he starts to see himself more and more in the light of God God's word, our our sin looks uglier and uglier, and we realize you know the things that we used to hide actually are coming out to the light. That's a good sign that we are Christian, that those things are despicable to us. Um, so we're never going to get to the place where we're like, okay, got it whipped, got all those sins that I used to deal with, they're all taken care of. We're just constantly waking up saying, this is a battle that I'm in. You know, I am fighting a battle for my soul, and if I don't engage in the battle, then, you know, I'm going I'm to have a setback or lose completely. So, yeah, it's a constant lifelong battle. We're not fighting. We're not living. All right, good question. Anyone else have a question before we move on here to the third purpose? All right, third purpose is to give access to our great commander while we're in a time of war. Kind of got ahead of myself there a little bit. But, But we are in a time of war, aren't we? Do you think about that when you get up in the morning? Does that shape how you spend time with God that you're actually going into battle today? Does that shape how you pray to God that you know that there is a battle? I mean, we we hear every day on the news, if we follow it, that there's battles going on in the Middle East and, and, and even in our own country, police department, things like that. You know, it, and and those battles, particularly the wars, they involve sacrifice and intensity and death. I mean, war is serious because people's lives are at stake. And worldviews and ideas are trying to be advanced. And and we, in the same way, live in a, a spiritual realm that is constantly at war. 
And um, so I, I have an illustration here of, of, a, of a battle that took place and a guy who, who gave his life and sacrifice for that. But, but the point is, is that, um, you know, we, we are in this battle. Paul said at the end of, the, of his life in 1 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight. He recognized that he was in a battle. And then Jesus said, you know, you know how serious your sin is? That, that if your eye causes you to sin, then what you should you do? Cut it out. If your hand causes you to sin, if your foot causes you... It's better to go into heaven without all those body parts than it is to go into hell with all of them. And, and the point is not that we need to do you know, radical amputation, physical amputation. He's saying, go to the greatest extremes necessary to get rid of your sin. That's how serious it is. So Jesus recognized that, that you know, just like a, a soldier in, the, in a war, that if he has a serious infection, he's not going to be very much good to himself or to his, you know, his, his compatriots, right? He's not going to be much good if he doesn't get that infection taken care of. And so if that means... Cutting off an appendage, that means cutting off the whole arm, whatever. He's not going to be any help unless he, he takes it seriously. And to increase the, the difficulty, you know, you have Satan who is this enemy, which is your next blank, who is 1 Peter 5, 8, that he is prowling around like a what? Like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. See, Satan's not like, okay, well, I got Christ. I, I got him to die in the cross. That's great. You know, that's a great victory for me. And now I just sit back and enjoy all the spoils of my victory. No, he is seeking to take our very souls and to turn us away from God. He's seeking to steal our faith. And so we need to be concerned about ourselves, but we also need to be concerned about others around us. And so uh, your next... So, so let me ask you this question. What or whom do you pray for most? What or for whom do you pray most? Um, this will give you a good indication of where your mindset is. If your prayers are constantly revolving around yourself, again, don't, don't underestimate that you are in a battle and you need help from your, your commander. But, but at the same time, your prayers should be bathed in praying for other people. If you look at the prayers of Scripture, there are lots of prayers that people pray for themselves, but if you look at them, that, that this is a way that you show love for other believers. Praying for others is part of loving them. Praying for others is part of loving them. You're still in John, so turn to chapter 13 and look at this commandment that is repeated uh, throughout the New Testament. But here it's, it comes from the mouth of Jesus. John 13, and would someone read verses 34 and 35? All right, so here's Jesus saying, you need to show love to other believers. This is how people will know if you are truly following me. And then Matthew 22 talks about you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then the next commandment is like it, the next main command that we have, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And one of the ways that your love for other believers, and one of the things that I am, am constantly reminding you to do is be praying for one another. 
because this is one of the ways that you this is one of the best ways that you show love to other believers is by praying for them. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Here Paul uses this imagery of of warfare to describe what's going on in the Christian life and he's saying, "Listen, you need to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the whole armor of God." And so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, who is, 1 Peter 5, prowling around like a roaring lion. If you want to be able to stand against that lion, you need to put on your armor. And then notice how he finishes here in verse 18. All of these things, so he says, take the sword of the Spirit, verse 17, which is the Word of God, but all of these things, all the, these putting on uh, of the armor that you are doing needs to be bathed in, verse 18, prayer and petition, praying in all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for yourself. Is that what it says? No, be, in, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And then pray for me too. So he's appealing to them. Would you pray for me? You know, sometimes we don't like to do that, to ask people to pray for us because, you know, we'll think, well, maybe people think we'll have, we have bad motives in it or we're trying to just, um, we're just trying to, um, to, uh, Word I'm looking for boast about something that we're that's happening in our life or something or or maybe the help maybe people will feel sorry about us but here's Paul saying would you pray for me because I know that the means by which God will accomplish victory is through your prayers and and so one of the ways that we engage in this battle and show love to the, the other people who are in the battle with us is what with all prayer and petitions we bring our requests to God on their behalf. So we talked a little bit about this last week, about uh, specifically how we do this. Um, sometimes it's difficult. We get a little bit overwhelmed. We know all these people and, and you know, especially uh, feel guilty when people come to us and tell us that they're praying for us. And we're like, wow, I never pray for you. I mean, it's, it's um, occasionally I'll run into people from the church that we came from, the church of six, seven hundred people, and, and um you know, an older lady or something will come up and say, pray for you every week or something. It's like, wow, you know, I, I had forgotten you were there, you know. And, and so we look around at all the people we know and, and we say, well, we, there's no way that we could possibly pray for all these people by name. So what's the point? And what I would encourage you to do like I did last week is to not get overwhelmed by that. Um, pray for the people who are closest to you. So think about yourself in terms of the closest relationships, maybe like a target, you know, the, the target. Um, in the center, you have yourself and your close family, people that you spend time with, that you know best, that, that know you best. Pray for them. Pray for them often. I, I told you last week I pray for my family every day, and I think you would do well to do the same. Outside of that, who are your next closest relationships outside of your family? And I would suggest to you that the next closest that you have covenanted yourself together with is your church. And, and so you need to be praying for your church. And we don't have a huge church where, you, you know, it's difficult to, to pray for every single person by name. Um, you can pray for every single person here by name in a week's time. It's not that hard. And um, you just have to make a plan, as we talked about last week. But you would do well to to recognize, listen, this is my battalion. You know, this is the battalion that God has placed me in, that I'm going out into war, you know, for, for the sake of God and, and His glory. 
and, and I'm going to engage in the battle. Um, let's see. So, so really, this, this battle imagery is helpful in, in us thinking about prayer. So let's just keep this battle imagery going and think about what prayer is. Okay, we like to think about prayer as a domestic intercom so that we can get some more luxuries, right? Send me another cushion for my head. You know, I'm, my head's getting a little bit um, sore here. I need, I need another cushion. Or, or send me my favorite drink or turn on my favorite show for me. And that's kind of how, I mean, it's kind of silly, but that's kind of how we use our prayers to talk about all of the, the pleasures and, and the, um, the luxuries in life. That, that's the kinds of things that we pray to God for. So instead of thinking about prayer as a domestic intercom, hey, God, send another thing my way, instead we think about it like a walkie-talkie out in, in battle where we're calling in our commander and saying, God, we are in danger. Send more troops or send more support. And, and you know, our, our friends are, are being destroyed out here. They're, they're being ambushed. We need your help. That's how we ought to think about prayer. And I think that's how Jesus prayed when, when he was going to the cross. He recognized that his life was, was, was in the balance. And he recognized that his relationship with God, um, in, in one sense, is in the balance. Obviously, he is God, so he wasn't going to lose that. But, but he, what did he do in order to guard himself against giving in to that temptation, which would have been to, to, to give in and not want to go to the cross? He prayed, and the disciples didn't, and they, they failed. When it was time to stand up for God, they failed. And, and that was because they were sleeping when they should have been praying. And so the sword of the Spirit in verse 17 is the Word of God, and, and we need to take up that sword with, with all prayer and petitions for all the saints. All right, so another appeal to prayer. You know, I heard before that if a pastor ever wants to make a congregation feel guilty, just talk about praying and how little we do it. But that's not my point in doing this. I don't want you to be guilted into prayer. I want you to see from the Scriptures that it is necessary and that it is um, it's like breathing. You know, you have to do it if you're going to have life. Um, you know, just like breathing, we're supposed to breathe without ceasing, and God tells us that we need to pray without ceasing. It's part of the way that we just walk through life, and we're just constantly breathing out thoughts to God, um, talking to Him about what's going on and asking for help. And and this takes discipline. It takes work. Um, it, it requires, I mean, it's it, we can never be perfect at it. But we we aim for that goal for sure. All right, any thoughts before we move to pitfalls and dangers? All right, a couple things. I think I have three things. Number one, um, being dependent on our emotions. There's several things that that we need to to just think about here. That, that there is a kind of spirituality that's popular today that's grounded more in feelings and emotions than in in truth and things that are solid objective like the word of god and the centrality of the gospel and sometimes these things are very explicit and other times they're implicit and and this can become a hindrance to our time in the word i mean don't you have to be honest that you don't wake up with the with the deep or a, a a huge fire to get into the Word of God. You don't do that every single morning. Hopefully that happens on many occasions. But 
But but have you been like me in that sense that there are times when you just don't have the fire to go and read the Bible? Maybe too tired, too busy. But but if we allow our if we are allow ourselves to follow our feelings, so I'm only going to do it when I feel like doing it because I don't want to come to God when I don't feel like it, right? Then how often are we going to go to God, right? I mean, it would be like saying, well, you know, I'm only going to talk to my wife when I feel like talking to her. Okay, that, that didn't sound good. But, uh, but, but there are times when I come home and, and I've had a long day and a lot of things going on and, and you know, mentally I'm drained and, and my wife wants to talk and, and, you know, sometimes I don't have the best uh, desire to... Am I digging deeper? Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you for bailing me out. Yes. Yes. But the point is that that even when we don't feel like it, we do it because it's the right thing to do, and it's actually what shows that that we actually do have a love for that person. That he, that you know, I'm because I don't feel like it, I'm not going to do it. You know, that that's that's more self-centered than actually saying, okay, God, listen, I, I don't have the greatest desire to come to you, but I know that's what I need to do. I know you've told me to do that, and I'm going to do it because I love you. And that actually shows what kind of commitment that we have to God. So what do you do when, when this dry patch type, uh, type of thing hits? Maybe you're not... Um, uh, maybe you are dependent on your emotions. You know, like I'm going to the Word and nothing's coming out. It's like a an empty well. What's what's going on? It's just I'm just glossing over these words and they're not doing anything. So what I would encourage you to do is just don't rely on your feelings. Acknowledge your feelings. I mean, recognize as part of who you are, but but refuse to be ruled by them and continue in the discipline of the Word, right? Um, so let's think about it in terms of working out. You know, if, if you're trying to work out and get this really um, cut physique or something, um, you, you might be doing your training from day to day. And in a giving, given training session, you may not feel like doing it, but you discipline yourself to do it anyway. And, and it actually might be painful and it might be like, well, you know, I, I looked at myself in the mirror this morning and I looked at myself or, or this yesterday morning and then this morning and there's no difference. So why do I keep doing this, Right. And the reason we do that is because we have to be disciplined to it because real change happens over time. There's no such thing as microwave spirituality, is there? Where you can just say, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of, of living in my sin and now I'm going to, to live righteously. And so, zap, I'm there. I've already I've forgotten all those old desires. I don't like them anymore. And now I'm ready to be renewed and, and be changed. No. It's, it's a discipline. What Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 is, I beat my body and make it my slave. And that's the idea of discipline. It is that, that we are consistently working towards this even when we don't feel like it. Anybody that worked out ever had a morning where you didn't feel like it? Okay. Um, but you do it even when you don't feel like it because you know it's what brings about change. And it's what God demands. And so... Um, don't allow your feelings to to drive what is necessary. Um, recognize them, but 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 be disciplined. So, if you have a structure or pattern, like I encourage you to do, because without a plan, you're not going to accomplish anything. Okay, but but if you have a plan, you've been doing it, 
and maybe it's become into it's turned into maybe a vain repetition type thing and and you really haven't been thoughtful in it maybe it'd be helpful just to okay and it has been this dry patch i need to change it up a little bit okay just not to you know look for some microwave change but but rather you know maybe th- this morning what i'm going to do is i'm going to focus on a passage that really i can draw strength from you know this this psalm for me psalm 42 psalm 43 why are you downcast O my soul why so distressed within me look to god hope in god for he is your help and your savior and and those types of passages maybe you have a specific passage that's kind of your go-to passage another one for me is proverbs 2 you know search after the the treasure of the scriptures as if you're searching for hidden treasure because by it you will be able to understand the ways of the lord and you'll be able to avoid evil and for me, that's like sometimes I'm just kind of glossing over it and, and then I think, okay, when I reflect on Proverbs 2, it's like, okay, if I were searching for hidden treasure, it would be much different than how I'm looking at the Scriptures this morning. So maybe that's what you need to do. You're, you've been going through this dry patch and you need to just be awakened spiritually and God has several ways that you can do that through Scripture. So maybe just change up your routine for a day or two and and. Pr- I mean, honest, be honest before God, right? Tell Him what you're thinking and, and um, tell Him what you desire. What about when our mind wanders? Um, I'm sure if you're anything like me, that, that as you're working through the Scriptures, you're already thinking ahead of things that are going to happen that day or what you're planning to do that day, or you're thinking back from what the things that took place yesterday. And, and so we need to discipline our minds during... Um, during our time with God. It's not wrong. It's not necessarily sinful if our minds, our, our minds wander, but it, it's part of just the nature of who we are. But, but I would suggest to you that, that when you have a wandering thought, maybe it would be helpful just to write that down and then get back to focusing on God. I mean, picture yourself actually sitting down and having a conversation with God, the God of the universe. And, and, and imagine yourself doing what you normally do in your time with God, right? Falling asleep or, you know, um, wandering and thinking about something else. God's over there talking and it's just like, you know, it, as we start to think about what we're actually doing, that we're actually hearing from the God of the universe, it changes things, doesn't it? And, and we ought to think about that. And so um, if your mind wanders... Have a, have a plan for how you can get back on track so you can say, God, hold that thought. I need to write this down. My mind is wandering. Okay, but I want to get back. I want to hear what you have to say and, and get back to it. What about when you feel like your prayers are hitting a wall? Well, again, focus your attention on what the truth is. What has God promised to you, not on what you feel? Okay, prayers are rooted in God and in what God has promised through Jesus Christ and through the power of the Spirit. So, so focus on what is true. What happens when you don't feel like praying, the adverse feelings? What happens when you don't feel like praying? Well, um, for that, I would just encourage you to look at those verses. Do I have verses written down for you? Yeah. Look at those verses when you get a chance. Um, it would be helpful when you just... I don't feel like praying or reading the Bible. Psalm 119, 18, 36... Psalm 86, 11, Psalm 90, 14. 
All right. Any questions on that before we move to the next danger or pitfall? The next danger is legalism. C.J. Mahaney, Mahaney has a book called The Cross-Centered Life, and in, in this section on, he, he defines um, legalism as seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience, okay, not, not faith. Now, why is this relevant when we talk about meeting with God on a daily basis? And the reason is because one of our tendencies is to use these times with God as notches on our belt. Kind of like, God, do you see all the things that I've done? Do you see how many days in a row I've read the Scriptures? And so you have to be favorable towards me. You have to receive me into heaven. right? You have to forgive me on the basis of what I have done. Do you see all these check marks on my Bible reading plan? I mean, do you, do you see how many times I've, I've prayed? And, and so this pitfall of legalism is a dangerous one. That, that we have this idea that in order for us to be saved, in order for us to be accepted by God, we have to do a certain number of things. And what that does is it, it, it undermines the gospel of Jesus Christ that everything that we need to be accepted by God is paid for, was paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. We have to do nothing else in order to, to, to be accepted before God. And so we need to guard ourselves against legalism. Um, sometimes the mindset is, you know, I've, I've sinned. I, I've sinned against you, God, in this great way. I know that I've sinned. And so what I'm going to do in response to that is I'm going to I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to read. And in one sense, if we're doing it for the right motives, then, then that's good. But, but what we sometimes look at it like is like what Catholics do. They, they look at it like penance, right? I've sinned, and so for, in order for God, you to atone or to forgive my sins, then what I need to do is, is say, instead of eight Hail Marys, we, we read eight chapters. That's the Baptist way of doing it, see? And, and we have to guard ourselves against that, that God doesn't accept us on the basis, He doesn't respond to our sin or forgive our sin on the basis of what we do or how much time we spend in prayer, how much quiet time we have. God accepts us on the basis of Jesus' atoning work on the cross. If we add anything to what Jesus has done, we make Christ's cross unnecessary. You see? That, that if, if we have to do more than what Christ already did, then why did Christ even die? Right? Why, why did he even come to the earth if, if we could atone for our sins through some kind of work? And so we need to guard against this, especially in our quiet time, but, but I think in other parts of our life as well. So the reason that we go to God in prayer is not in order to atone for our sins or in, or in order to earn God's favor in a way that will give us an eternal standing. But we do it because God is worthy of our prayer, that He is our God, we are His servants, and because He's told us to, and He's promised to reward us. He, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek us. So consider this helpful um, designation here. This is your next blank. Justification is the judicial act of being... Anyone know what that is? declared righteous by God. So it's declared. We don't actually become righteous. That's sanctification. Okay, The daily work of being made righteous. That's sanctification. 
but justification is being declared righteous. This is where God in a courtroom type setting says, you are sinful, you are deserving of hell and condemnation, but I declare you on the basis of the robe of Christ that you wear to be righteous. You need nothing else. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. That's all I need. That's justification. However, God didn't save us just to be just to be free from hell and to be accepted by Him. He, he saved us to change us. That's the process of sanctification. This is the process of what we could call ongoing salvation. There's an initial salvation, ongoing salvation, the sanctification, and then final salvation, which is glorification. All right, so sanctification is being made righteous. We contribute nothing to our initial salvation. Right? God chose us. God is the one who, who called us to be uh, in Christ. We respond with repentance and faith. But for sanctification, we can't sit back and be passive, can we? It's something that we have to do. But here's the problem. This is what C.J. Mahaney points out in his book, um, A Christ-Centered Life. He says that our problem is that we, we mix these, things, these two things up justification and sanctification and when we do when we think that we have to do things in order to be accepted by God then that's when legalism comes into the picture and that's why we need to be so clear about these two important doctrines that we are justified by faith not by works of righteousness there's no one can be justified by the works of the law no one we need to be clear about that and, and yet, we have responsibility in sanctification to grow. So, be aware of the pitfall of legalism. I right, need to wrap this up here. Um, so, let's look at this third one, laziness. This might not be a problem for everyone. Maybe you're, you're um, very active and, and engaged and disciplined. But I would guess that if... If this is not a regular pattern for you, this is definitely a a, um, a momentary lapse that you have towards laziness. This is a huge obstacle to meeting with God. And and so maybe just if this is you, then I would just encourage you to just reevaluate your life. How much time do you spend following the news, reading uh, reading novels or or whatever, or um, uh, watching TV, um, recreation. How much time do you spend doing all those kinds of things in comparison to how much time you spend meeting with God each day? And laziness can be a big one because, we want, you know what? Meeting with God takes work, doesn't it? It requires us to engage our minds. We can't just mindlessly go through it. It requires work. Prayer sometimes is even harder. And and so it requires work. And, and you know, I'm tired. I'm or I just don't want to do it. I'd, I'd rather just relax and, and have recreation time, and and we need to guard ourselves against us. I mean, think about what Christ has gone through in order to to pave a way for you to have a relationship with God. How can you not want to spend time with Him each day? How can you not want to enjoy His fellowship and learn from Him, sit at His feet like, like Mary did? He is the giver and sustainer of your life. All right, the root of our pitfalls, very simply, just I think we we don't know God. We, we don't desire God as much as we ought to. And, um, and the remedy for that is just knowing God more. Because the more that we know God, the more we trust God. The more we believe His promises. Psalm 9.10, or 
those who know your name will trust you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Let me just talk practically here uh, about another potential pitfall, and then and then we'll go through some questions briefly, and we'll be done. All right. Another potential pitfall is when you go on vacation. So let me just encourage you. This may be the, one of the hardest times because, for me, I'm a person of routine. I like to I like to have the same kind of routine each day. And as I do that, you know, when things get changed up, if I have something that comes up early in the morning, it's harder for me to to spend time with God. It's harder for me to get back on track because I've already got the rest of the day planned. Um, but but let's just say in general, you know, there's a routine that goes goes on. I spend time with God. I get to my work and 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 so on. Uh, but it, on vacation, it's totally different, isn't it? Okay, whether we have vacation here at home or we go somewhere, it's especially difficult, I think, because we're out of our comfort zone, so to speak, and we have lots of things on the calendar, usually, if, if your vacation's anything like mine, right? You, you have lots of things that you plan to do, even if it just means relaxing, right? And, and so finding time to spend with God can just be like, well, I'm taking vacation. But what I, I would encourage you to do is not take a vacation from God. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't ever sleep or slumber or take a vacation on us, right? And and I'm not saying in the sense that okay, you need to do that otherwise, you know, God will stop existing or something or it'll No, it's it's for your benefit that you continue to spend God time with God. Let's put it this way, go back to the 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 war imagery. When you're in your normal routine, you are you are in a daily spiritual battle. Right? When you go on a vacation, you don't step out of the battle. The spiritual battle continues to rage, and maybe even more so, um, because you have potentially new opportunities, new um, maybe more time on your hands, and, and that can be dangerous. So you need to recognize that, listen, while I'm vac- on vacation, I'm still uh, in a spiritual battle, and I need to guard my heart. I need to, to talk to my commander and, and ask for reinforcement. So let me just encourage you, maybe just pick a time, you know, 30 minutes a day. I'm going to, before I come out of my room on vacation, I'm just going to spend time with God in reading and prayer. And then uh, maybe a helpful way to make sure that you follow through with that. Maybe, you know, you've had several vacations and, and you just find yourself that every vacation I don't t- spend time with God. Well, well, then just set up some accountability. You have some close friends you have some close family, just tell them, listen, I need to spend time with God while I'm on vacation. Would you ask me if I did? Would you just, um, would you know that I'm not going to be out, you know, after I wake up, it's going to be 30 more minutes before I come. Just, you know, after I, get, I need to get ready too, but, but, but all those things, right? I need some time to, to, um, to spend with God. Let me just uh, encourage you with these questions here to challenge yourself. Think about these things. What is one thing you can do to improve your intake of God's Word? What time of the day will you commit to spending time in God's Word? So this is if you don't have a time that's set up, then then you need to. What kind of plan will you make to structure your time in God's Word? You have a daily reading plan. You're reading through the Bible in a year, studying through a book of the Bible, reading a psalm, whatever it is. What, what plan do you have? How will you set out to apply God's Word each day? not enough to hear God's Word. We need to respond to it. And then how you structure your prayer time. Do you have a plan or are you just aimlessly just praying for things? Alright. Any questions or comments?
All right, it's a big, big topic, um, very important, critical to our spiritual life. So let me just encourage you to to not become weary in well-doing because in due, se- due season you will reap if you faint not. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the gift that we have to be able to call out to you in prayer but also to read your word and, and we pray that you would help us to be engaged in this most uh, critical um, discipline and we pray that that there would be delight in doing so um, but at the same time we recognize that it's not always delightful to come and meet with you there are times when we don't have the fire in our hearts to do it and so we pray for for your grace to be able to just um, press on and and believe your promises despite our feelings Lord, pray that you would help us not to be lazy or legalistic in this process, but to to rest in you and in what you have promised, and and we pray that the result would be that that you would be bearing much fruit in us as we abide in the vine, Jesus Christ. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.